This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only... The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the decisive battles of world history. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us to help wrap up the week is Steve Hayes with the Weekly Standard. And Steve, this is one of those weeks for me where politics collides with leadership. I love mocking Hillary Clinton and her horrible rollout, and I love mocking the Obama administration's thumb-fisted handling of events. But then you have the horror of ISIS taking Ramadi and Al-Qaeda taking Yemen. You go, oh my gosh, it's not funny when there's so much on the line. And and ISIS uh, detonating a bomb apparently near the U.S. consulate in Erbil uh, in northern Iraq in Kurdistan. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think it underscores one of the reasons that this is so so uh, likely to be a campaign that includes a huge national security component. Uh, when you look forward to the, the presidential campaign, it's just inescapable that that uh, the the world and the mess that we've seen made of it over the past six years is going to be a central issue, if not the central issue. We know uh, there are plenty of people in politics who argue that it's always about the economy, and we'll get to that aspect in a second, but watching a week where so many things of import happened for foreign policy, at the same time, Hillary Clinton refused to answer a single question about foreign policy because she was too busy apparently debating whether or not to tip the Chipotle guy and whether or not to park in the handicapped spot. Can she maintain this dichotomy of acting like she's never had anything to do with U.S. foreign policy while she's running for president? Yeah, I mean, this is this, what she's doing now is totally unsustainable. Um, the, the, the press corps that's chasing her around in, uh, in Iowa this past week and in New Hampshire this next week, uh, they may be you know, largely ideologically sympathetic to Hillary Clinton and, and to, to Democrats. But at a certain point, they're trying to do their job, and part of their job involves talking to candidates and, and, and watching candidates actually interact with you know not just everyday Americans selected by the Clinton campaign, but um, you know, people who might come up to Hillary Clinton and, um, God forbid, disagree with her on something or want to ask her a question uh, about her role in the administration for the past four years. So what she's attempting to do right now is totally unsustainable, and I am utterly bewildered as to why they thought that this was the right way to start her campaign. I don't know. When you see literally seven or eight Politico stories on Chipotle and Scooby the Van uh, and not a single piece on, for example, the decisions made while Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State that brought us to uh, you know, the uh, reawaking of Anbar province in a bad way. I mean, maybe they're right. Maybe you know. Maybe Steve, you, you and I are completely wrong. All abandon all hope, journalists. It's been lost. Well, far far be it from me to be um, too optimistic about reporters giving a um, a Democrat or a liberal a hard time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm usually 
not far behind anybody in that respect. But I just think at a certain point, this is all so silly and so substance-free and so choreographed uh, that it is insulting or ought to be insulting to, to journalists whose job it is to cover her and to help um, to help people understand her positions on, on these important issues. I mean, not to, not to get too... Uh, to sound too much like a, a, a scold, uh, a proponent of civic education, but we make decisions as a country based on uh, what we know about the candidates and what they tell us about their views and how they'll govern, what decisions they'll make. You can't do it based on you know her sneaking into Chipotle and uh, giving scripted remarks or choreographed remarks at these set-up sessions in Iowa. Just our, our, our Democratic Republic doesn't function that way. And I'm confident that journalists, if for no other reason than, than being insulted at being excluded, will uh, will get her to demand that they get some access to her. Well, once again, Steve, we have to disagree because I don't think the contemporary Washington press corps can be insulted. I don't think they have any you know, hum, de, hum, humanity or you know, pride or honor left to insult. <laughs> so I want to turn to a topic where politics and substance met, and that is the White House spinning on a dime over the issue of whether there should be a vote on an Iran deal. And the White House says, well, we were happy to have the vote because what they passed is really nothing and it doesn't really matter. Uh, meanwhile, other people saying, no, you turned on a dime. You had uh, Secretary of State uh, 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 Kerry working on votes 15 minutes before you flipped your policy because you didn't have the votes and the fact is that the senators weren't going to let the White House enter the kind of deal that they've been talking about. Which one's true, Steve? Well, I'm not, I'm not sure they're mutually exclusive. I don't understand why the White House opposed this as strongly as they did from the very beginning. I, mean, I just don't think this was this is just not that big a deal for the White House to, to stomach, as we're seeing now. And in some ways, I mean, I've seen some people argue, including Brahim on, on special report the other night, that, that this, in effect, requires the Senate to, to give the White House its, its blessing, in effect, um, by inverting the way that we're going to be looking at, at approval or disapproval of the, of the deal. But, you know, there was something even more interesting I think, that happened on this this week, and that is, the president's comments. I mean, the president made comments today and suggested that he's confident that a deal can be a final deal, can be struck, despite the fact that we've seen over the past two weeks he's left Switzerland. Um, the Iranians, in effect, say, you know, issue all sorts of new red lines, or at least red lines that were new to the American public. So you have the president, when the deal was being negotiated in secret, the president said he thought that there was less than 50-50 chance that there would be a final, lasting deal. Now that these details are public and that the Iranians are challenging our stated facts of the deal, the administration's characterization of the deal, the president is suddenly confident that we're going to get a deal. And, he, and I think he telegraphed what's coming when he would not rule out the possibility that sanctions would be lifted immediately. I think what we're seeing, it's hard to believe, given what we know the administration has caved on to this point, but I think we're poised to see the administration cave even further if that's possible. One last question for you. What are the political aspects of the you know, fraying beyond just what we've seen before in the Middle East when it comes to ISIS, Al-Qaeda. You know, we have yet another homegrown terrorist captured who had traveled to Syria and allegedly was going to wage war here in the U.S. Do these events force the Obama administration's hand or are they simply 
immune to facts on the ground. In other words, they have an agenda with Iran. That agenda is going to survive, and it wouldn't matter if the Iranian you know, guard detonated a bomb in America tomorrow. They're still going to cut their deal. I think that's. I think it's. It's almost entirely the latter. Uh, I mean, the, the the one scenario you posed at the end may be the the the, the exception that proves that rule. I and mean, I think if, if we could point to an Iranian bomb here in the United States, it would require them to take a different tack. But look, we've seen the administration do this repeatedly. I mean, they've repeatedly downplayed or dismissed threats that we face, including threats that were reported up through the intelligence community. Uh, in some cases, where senior intelligence officials were sounding the alarms about the growth of al-Qaeda in the lead-up to the 2012 elections and the spread of the global jihadist movement uh, before those elections and afterwards. And the administration told us then and tells us now that we're winning the war on terror, that we, in effect, have no need for this war on terror. We have seen the administration systematically downplay the threat from Iran, whether you're talking about the president's rhetoric, where he refuses to even bring up the fact that Iran is sponsoring terrorism, whether it was in this fight over the, uh, the legislation last week where the administration demanded that the Senate remove a provision that would have required Iran to, to uh, renounce its sponsorship of terrorism. The administration said we can't have that in the language of this particular bill. Um, or whether you're talking about more broadly about the administration uh, and, and the intelligence community downplaying Iran's support for terror uh, across the board. You have these worldwide threat assessments. Very interesting study by the Washington Institute for Near East Politics that was released just this week, where they went back and they looked at the global threat assessments, I think starting in 2007, and looked every year and compared the language that was used by the intelligence community administration to describe Iran's terror activities with respect to terrorism. And, and there is a dramatic shift in the Obama administration, and then a shift again, a shift that accelerates in the last couple of years while we've been involved in these negotiations that basically uh, downplays the extent to which Iran is fomenting uh, um, jihadist terror, Shia jihadist militias, uh, what have you. So I think we've seen plenty of evidence that the administration is willing to downplay real threats in order to make what they see as political gains and to do some legacy polishing for the president. Well, I think a President Hillary will be able to solve the ISIS problem. No tipping for our ISIS terrorists. Gratuity is not included, my <laughs> friends. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham. <laughs>